feasting on obedience to Christ. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us here at Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will join us in a moment and we'll be continuing his verse-by-verse study in John. We're going to key in on this phrase found in chapter four, the woman left her water pot. Pastor Ed believes this communicates something significant to us about her response to the gospel, a response each of us should have as well. Take your Bibles, open them to John's gospel, chapter four. John's Gospel, chapter 4, you'll recall in the very beginning of our study of chapter 4, in verse 3, Jesus, it said, left Judea, the area of Judea, and departed again up into the Galilee region. But he needed, it says in verse 4, to go through Samaria. In our previous studies, we found how significant that was. The journey from Judea to Galilee or Galilee down to Judea was a much faster journey through Samaria. But because of very strong ingrained both ethnic and religious prejudice, the Jews and the Jewish leaders and the religious leaders would would take the long way around. They would avoid Samaria. They would stay away from Samaria. I mean, if you looked at the category of people, the Samaritans as a people group were probably just below lepers in the minds of the Jews of the day. That's what they were taught, religiously and ethnically. They were prejudged, or the word that we would use today is that they were the objects of severe prejudice. But not so in the heart of Jesus. Jesus came not to show us religion, but to show us relationship, what it really looks like. That's why studying through the Gospel of John is going to be so glorious because even some of your own religious stereotypes, things that you've picked up, things where in in your life and mine, we may want to be more religious than we want to be like Jesus, and he's going to blow that out of the water if you allow him. He's going to show you what it really looks like. He needed to go through Samaria. It was unusual. It wasn't normal. It wasn't even culturally customary. But Jesus needed to go, and we know why he needed to go. First of all, he had an appointment with a woman. There was going to be a woman at the well. Nobody knew. The disciples didn't know. Jesus knew. But not even the woman knew that her life would be forever changed by this rabbi, by this teacher, by God in human flesh, who decided, according to the will of the Father, that he must go. He needed to go through Samaria. And that's he met this woman at the well, began to speak to her about the issues of life, First, they were sort of bantering back and forth about water and thirstiness and spiritual satisfaction. And then Jesus got to the heart of the matter in her life. Hey, go call your husband. Oh, oh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, I know. I know you don't have a husband. I I know that you've had all these husbands in your life and the guy that you're living with right now isn't your husband. I know all about you. 
I know about the emptiness in your life. I know how you've gone from relationship to relationship. I know how the men have taken advantage of your weakness and you've gone from man to man and now even the guy you're with isn't willing to marry you. He isn't willing to do the right thing. I know all about you. And it was in that moment that she realized, wow, I think you're a prophet, she says in verse 19. And Jesus began to teach her about true worship. Jesus began to unveil to her true living water. And I believe by the time we get to verse 26, where, or in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, she says, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am. And that word he is in italics. And in a different Bible study, we'll get through all the I am statements in John. But sufficient for now, Jesus declares to her, I am your Messiah. I am God. And I believe it's in this moment a spiritual transaction took place. She was born again. Now with that in mind, verse 27 now picks up where we left off. At this point, so Jesus and the woman are still talking. She is dramatically changed by the teaching and the word of Jesus, her agreement And I believe all the things that were necessary for salvation, repentance and belief and confession, are all happening here in her interaction with Jesus. And it's at this point that the disciples come. And they marveled, it says. If you like to circle words in your Bible, you can circle the word marveled. It literally means they were amazed. Because not only was it not culturally customary to go through Samaria for a Jew, it was also very culturally uncustomary for a Jew to talk to a woman. And on top of that... And these are all unfortunate truths of the day, not the heart of God. And on top of that, he wasn't just talking to a woman. He wasn't just talking to a Samaritan woman. He was talking to a Samaritan woman with a past, a sexually promiscuous past. So they're amazed. They're amazed that this is taking place. And yet they kept it inside, it says. They were marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Then, verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. While Jesus is talking to this woman, the disciples were probably in the region gathering supplies, food primarily, and they returned marveling and startled and in amazement. And with the disciples coming back, as you look at the scene as it unfolds, the disciples are coming back, the woman takes off and leaves just Jesus with his disciples. Jesus so touched her heart and does, that despite her reputation and despite what people thought of her and despite of what she knows about herself and despite the kind of condemnation and guilt that she's carried around for years and despite that she is going to meet some of the people that she offended and perhaps some of the families that she ruined through her sexual promiscuity, despite all odds against her, she was so touched and so changed that she takes off to tell people about this Messiah to the very people in her city. Now, there's a phrase here I want you to see, and I don't want you to miss it in verse 28. It's very significant for this woman, and it's very significant for us. It's the phrase, the woman left her water pot. The woman left her water pot. It's very important to see this. Because I think in this interaction, we see two mistakes that are often made 
by new believers, and even believers that have been walking with Jesus for a while, two significant mistakes that we can avoid by just seeing how this woman responds to the gospel. The first mistake I see is that many fail to leave their water pot behind. Their water pot. What are you talking about? I don't have a water pot. If I have a pot, it has a plant in it or I'm cooking. What is, what is a water pot? Well, here it's very symbolic. Because if you put the water pot into the woman's hands, it becomes very descriptive of her life. This was her daily life. She would need to return regularly to get water. And we've already learned she had to go in a time when nobody was there because of the offense that she caused. And this was her daily life. She would take her water, her water pot. She would go to the well. She would draw water and she would take it back. She would use it. She'd have to go back. The water pot is a great picture to us of our lives, our lives, our daily routine of life. And there are no doubt things in your life. There are no doubt people and patterns in your life and routines that must be left behind in the name of Jesus. If you fail to leave your water pot behind, if you fail to leave your past behind, it will cause you great difficulty in life. It will be very hard. It will make life harder than it already is. I mean, you think of what the Bible, how it describes salvation. The Bible describes salvation as you and I being new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So maybe that water pot represents to you the old party lifestyle. You need to leave your water pot behind. Maybe it describes the party atmosphere, but you didn't go to parties. You just went drinking and partying in your own life. Like like you just love to, to get drunk or whatever it might be. You need to leave your water pot behind. Maybe there's some relationships, some ways of thinking even. You need to leave your water pot behind. Because if you don't, if you don't, it's going to cause you great trouble. Here she leaves her life behind. This was her life. We aren't told that she has two water pots. We're not told she has five water pots. We're not told that this is it. This is all she had. She comes to the, to the well. And Jesus even talks to her about, you know, you're, keep, you're, you're coming and getting water all the time, but I've got a water you'll never have to come back for. And she goes, well, give me the water because I don't want to come back. I don't want to come back. And yet, when engaged with Jesus, she leaves her water pot behind. Listen. Repentance requires you to leave your past behind. Repentance in its very definition means to turn away from. Problem is, is that the water pot is so significant to us. For some of you, that water pot of your past, you've put so much time and so much energy into it, it's very hard for you to leave it behind. There are those that respond to the gospel. There are those that respond to the gospel here. As I'll give you a chance in just a few moments, as you recognize the issue in your life, you you recognize that wherever you are and how good you might be, you're not fully connected to your creator God. You can't say with full assurance today that you don't have, that you have a relationship with Jesus. You can't say with full assurance, even in this little illustration we have, that you've left your water pot behind. And yet you recognize that it's God who loves you. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. That today, if you will turn away from your sin and accept you, believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. You will come into relationship. You you will be reunited with your creator. He has done everything that he can to bring you and I back into relationship. You know, there are those that will respond to an invitation like that. 
On occasion, I'll say, raise your hand, so people raise their hand and we'll pray. Or stand up, and you'll stand up and you'll pray. Or on occasion, come up to this front here and we'll pray for you here. And there you are walking up. And you have such a huge emotional experience. And let me just say, it is an emotional thing to recognize the issues in your heart and just to to be enamored with the love of God. How can you not? Love is an emotion. How, How can you not have an emotional experience with God when he's drawing you to himself? And there you are in the moment. This section of the Bible study touched you or somebody was teaching you or telling you about the things of God and here with just the invitation, you're touched. It's, it's amazing and it's wonderful. But listen, I, I need to warn you. Emotion is not enough. An emotional experience does not save you. An emotional experience doesn't forgive you of your sins. Many have an emotional experience with God and go right back into the sinful life that they lived before with no change. Or... Many will have an emotional experience with God and then think, well, you know, I can add God to the kind of life I was already living when God says no. God says it very clearly. He says, Jesus says, you be holy as I am holy. And that word holy represents a set-apart life. You have to leave your water pot behind. You can't carry it around. That's why later on in the New Testament, we'll be told and exhorted to, to... When we're running our race, when the Bible describes our relationship with God as running a race, you know what he says? He says, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you. Can you imagine trying to run a marathon with a backpack of 50 pounds on you? Or think about this way. You're going to run the marathon. You've been training all this time and you show up with your water pot. And you're going to start running, and you're like, whoa, man, this is getting heavy. This is getting heavy. And people are throwing their trash in it. And you're like, man, that's like, i got to leave my past behind. It could just be, I mentioned all kinds of behaviors, but let me, let me refer to the water pot as something different. Maybe it's just a bucket of regret that you keep carrying around, of guilt and shame. Listen, friend, Jesus Christ took your guilt and shame upon himself. You don't need to carry the water pot. You need to leave it. She leaves her life and her livelihood and everything about the here and now behind for the sake of sharing the work of God in her life. We call that, there's a word to describe this excitement. It's the word zeal. She is zealous and excited. And she doesn't care what people think about her. And she doesn't care what her reputation is. She doesn't care how people are going to respond she knows that Messiah has come to their... It was no ordinary visit that she had at the, at the well. This was no ordinary man. Now, it wasn't just a man, and it wasn't just a Jew. This was God in human flesh that just touched her life. And I believe one of the big mistakes that new believers make, and newer believers make, and even some of those old-time believers make, is you fail to leave your water pot behind. You've got to leave it back. Secondly, another mistake that's made is that we fail to tell people immediately about Jesus. These are the two things I see in this, in this episode in her life. She immediately leaves her water pot behind, and she immediately tells somebody about what God has done in her life. Can I ask you a question? I'm going to anyway. When's the last time you told someone about what Jesus has done in your life? When's the last time you've had a conversation? Not about politics, that's so easy for you. Not about football, that's easy for you. Not about cars, not about hobby, not about knitting, not about the newest book, not about the new store that opened up. Not, when's the last time you had an easy, free-flowing conversation about the work and the presence and the power of God in your life? You see, that's a great mistake for us. 
to not share what God has done in our life continually. He's, he didn't just do something back then. He's working in your life right now. His faithfulness is new. His mercies are new every morning, the Bible says. What a powerful and encouraging thing that's happened. And, and understand this. What is happening in her life right now? What's happening in her life? She didn't sit in an evangelism class like you might, some of you are going to do. She wasn't sat down with some materials and a Bible and, and gotten, getting some instruction for how to share the gospel, but it was very natural. Let me show you, because this is really cool. Turn back to chapter 1 real, real quick here and look at verse 39. Nobody taught her how to do this. It came very naturally. It's very natural for you if you obey the Holy Spirit's promptings. It's the same thing that happens when you invite someone to church and you hand them a card and say, hey, you need to come to church. Just come. You can come with me. I'll meet you there. We'll meet in the cafe or come to church and hear the Bible. Or maybe they don't want to come to a church. You go, well, check this radio station out. Listen to this radio station because they're going to teach the Bible all day, every day. And, and you, then you, you can just listen and just listen to God speaking to you. And, and it's the same thing you do when you get a book for someone that's going through a trial. And you say, you know what? Why don't you read this? It's on the topic that you're dealing with right now. So with that in mind, notice what happens in verse 39. It says, he said to them, come and see And then they came and saw. So that's the pattern of Jesus, that invitation to come and see. But then notice it gets picked up later in verse 46. In verse 46 of chapter 1, it says, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Now check out what she says, flipping over back to chapter 4, verse 29. In chapter 4, verse 29, what does she say? Come. See a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they responded to the invitation. What a transition in her life. In just the simple conversation that she had with Jesus, you'll recall she first addressed him as a Jew. Then as it progressed, she addressed him as sir. And then as it progressed a little more, she addressed him as a prophet. And now she has the full understanding. He's not just a sir, and he's not just a Jew, and he's not just a prophet. He is the Christ. I love that. God is going to complete the work that he started. And they left to the city and came to him. And you'll always know someone that is truly born again, because like a newborn baby, they will start crying out the good news of the gospel. It's beautiful. And it's something that you need to really see in your own life. You are, and I am the messenger of God. And when's the last time? When's the last time you left your what You really consider, you know, I'm not going back to my past. I'm not going to dig it up. I'm not going to go back in that. I left my water pot behind. That's my past. And combining with leaving your past behind, now you're looking forward to sharing with those that you love and that you care for And that's where we are in verse 31. In verse 31, chapter 4, In the meantime, his disciple urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore his disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? This is interesting. You'll get an insight on the disciples, and at the same time you'll get an insight on yourself. You'll see with the disciples, they are often interested and overly interested with the here and now. Like here. They're interested in food. 
Jesus, you need to eat. It's been a long day. You haven't had any food. We just went to get food. Here's some food. And he says, I'm not hungry. And you go, what? Who brought him food? What's going on here? You'll see it over and over in the disciples' life. Even as Jesus is talking about his impending death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, you know where the disciples are concerned about? Who's going to take over when you leave? Who's going to be the leader? Who's going to be the first in charge? And it's very similar to us as we get caught up in these things that are in our lives as well, the normal, regular things of life like eating. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating. There's nothing wrong with sleeping. There's nothing wrong with resting. There's nothing wrong with with taking care of your body and making sure that your temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, your body is in its best workable condition for the use of God. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But here's the problem. When those things become primary and the priorities in your life, you're very close to having things backwards. Of course, God created these things. We need to eat. We need to rest. We, we need to take care of ourselves. They're necessary and needful, but they can also become very primary. And they can also become things that we are more concerned about than anything else, including our spiritual life. Well, let me show you what that looks like. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. In a culture like ours that emphasizes comfort and ease, it's very easy for us to fall in this trap. So Jesus teaches us very early on, as he's going to teach the disciples in just a moment, don't worry about basic things. Don't be overly worried about them. Don't be overly concerned. Don't let them be a priority in your life. Make sure the kingdom of God is first. Make sure the kingdom of God is first. You'll hear that in Jesus' lips. You've got to seek the kingdom first. Don't worry about these things. Don't be overly concerned. So pick up with me in verse 25 of Matthew's gospel, chapter 6. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. These are heavy words in a culture like ours that emphasizes the body, that emphasizes how the body looks, that emphasizes the outward, the clothing, and the food. Just me mentioning food right now, you guys are thinking about food. You're checking your watch. What time's lunch? Hey, honey, did you get the... Hey, and Chipotle burritos are flying through the room right now. You're thinking about what's for dinner. I left something on the crock pot. Did I add this? Food is, you know, we're, I mean, we have channels now. It's all about food. And co- I mean, food, food, food. Food is wonderful and it's great, but it can become an obsession. It can take priority in a person's life. Clothing, same thing with clothing. It's always that emphasis on the outward. Have the latest, have the greatest. Life in general can really take our attention. Something that's temporary, our life, can take priority over something that's eternal, the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, don't worry about it. Don't be overly concerned. He doesn't say not to be concerned. He says, don't worry about it. This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor Ed Taylor is our Bible teacher and the pastor of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime of the day or night at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. 
And we have a couple of podcasts as well. You can listen to Abounding Grace and Lead to Serve wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, By the way, that's Lead, the number two, Serve. In it, Pastor Ed discusses the value of servant leadership. Today, we want to tell you about Pastor Ed's book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. I don't have to convince you that people are suffering in large measure all around us. And maybe that someone is you. With a war going on, rising inflation, gas prices through the roof, and a virus that doesn't seem to go away, many are anxious and greatly troubled. Well, God wants to meet you right where you're at. And this book will remind you that Jesus will bring you through your trial, and you're not alone. Request a copy of God's Help for the Troubled Heart today. Maybe order an extra one, too, and give it to a friend. We'll send it to you for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it at calvaryco.store on the web. And please remember that your gifts help to make this program possible. We look to the Lord to provide for us. If He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing support, please visit us online, aboundinggraceradio.com, or call 877-30-GRACE. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.